Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. It's a tough question. It can be asked by the person who wants out of the marriage, but has some hesitancy, or it can be asked by the person who wants the marriage to continue, but doesn't know whether or not he or she should continue to fight to see if he or she can save this marriage with the spouse that, that they love. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam. Welcome to Marriage Radio. Let's talk about this for a few minutes, particularly in concept of when is it time to finally end it? What's the last straw? When is enough enough? When do you quit fighting? When do you quit worrying? When do you decide this marriage is over and we need to go on? You realize, of course, that in the United States of America, where I live, divorce has been rampant for some period of time. Oh, there are various ways that the divorce rate are figured and much too complicated to get into here. Some have been saying, wow, it's a good thing the divorce rate actually has gone down, but mm, it's hard to say that that's true. You see, many people now just live together rather than getting married, and when they split up, it's not called a divorce. It's not registered as such. Oh, and speaking of registration, there are at least six states, including California, for example, that no longer report divorce statistics. And so saying that the divorce rate is down would not be possible. There's still well over a million divorces per year in America. Now, I work with a 501c3 nonprofit called Marriage Helper. We do everything we can to try to help people salvage their marriages. Obviously, we can't save their marriages. It has to be their decision, and not just the decision of one, but the decision of both. Now, we offer help if one spouse wants to try to save the marriage and the other doesn't, and we teach the principles about what he or she can do that will create the greatest likelihood that the other will respond positively. But we know that divorce happens, and that's what this particular show is about. When should it happen? If you're thinking that because I'm in the marriage industry and saying that we fight diligently trying to save marriages, which we do, that helping people figure out when the divorce will be inconsistent with our mission, I guess on the surface that sounds right. Except for the fact that we realize, we know for a fact, that sometimes marriages will end. As a matter of fact, sometimes marriages should end. And even as I say that, I'm afraid because if somebody just took that one phrase and say, Dr. Bean says sometimes marriages should end, if you take that out of context, which of course you could if you wanted to and use it, it wouldn't be honest. So let's just be honest with each other. When is it time to end the marriage, either for the person who wants out, maybe this person wants out because he or she is just tired of being controlled by the other. I don't like the way my husband keeps me under his thumb, telling me what to do, what to think, what to feel. Or maybe my wife is such a shrew, you won't believe how difficult it is to live in a home where you're criticized, constantly put down, told all these negative things about you. And so it might be those people are listening saying, yeah, when's it time? How much of that do I have to put up with? When can I go? Then there are others wanting out of a marriage because they actually want something different now. Sometimes they'll say things such as, you know, we married very young. And now I'm beginning to think of all the things I missed out on because of what we did. And I want to go out there and explore that world. I want to see what it's like. I want to live in that lifestyle. And I can't do that if I'm married. 
where others were saying, yeah, but listen, Joe, I have found my soulmate. And I have never felt toward anyone what I feel toward this person. Now, unfortunately, I'm married, and I certainly don't want to hurt my husband. I don't want to hurt my wife, but how can I let go of this one rare jewel that I have found in my life, this person who understands me such as no one ever has, and a connection that I thought was impossible. As a matter of fact, I don't even know how to explain it because it's so wonderful. And therefore, I can't tell you about it because you can't even begin to believe something like this exists. I didn't until I was in it. There are a lot of different reasons you understand why people want out of a marriage. The general principle comes back to this. People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. I'll actually repeat that. People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And so if I am being dominated and controlled by my spouse, as in the illustration I gave a couple of minutes ago, I might see being alone as being better. Or if I'm being criticized and put down and constantly disrespected, I may see being alone as being better. Or if I have found the person I believe now to be my soulmate, even though I may have loved my spouse at one time, or even if I think I never have loved him or her, I still see being with that person, this one who's come into my life that I'm now madly in love with, as being better than what I have. So either whether it's escaping something or whether it's going to something that's just alluring, understand that people typically don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. Now, that's the one who wants out of the marriage. But what about the other person, the one who is being abandoned, if you'll let me use that phraseology? Like, I, I love my husband. I, I don't want him to leave. I want us to make this work out somehow and save this marriage. Or I love my wife. And even now I can see, now that it's finally come to this head, yes, I was controlling. I was dominating. I did not treat her as an equal. I treated her as an inferior. I did tell her what to think, what to feel, what to do. And I'm sorry about that now, but she somehow won't listen to me. She won't believe that I've changed. So whether you're the person wanting out of a marriage or the person wanting to save the marriage, the principle still remains the same. People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And so if you are the spouse looking at your spouse, I mean, you're the one wanting out. You want to leave, perhaps because you're in love with somebody else now, and you're looking at your spouse saying, why would you want me to stay? I, I don't understand because we'd both be much better off. Can't you see how much better off you would be if this marriage didn't continue to exist as it is? And what you're hoping is that other person, the person that you're leaving in the marriage, will finally see that being without you is being better than with you. And sometimes people even go so far as to say, can't you see I'm bad for you? Can't you see the things I've done have been so bad, so wrong, that you'll never really be able to forgive me anyway? You deserve better than me. Which is all the way of saying, don't you see that being without me is better than being with me? It's still part of, part of that same principle. People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. So, should there ever be a divorce? Should people ever end a marriage? Are there things out there which truly are better? Either for the one who wants out of the marriage or the one who wants to save the marriage? Are those things possible? And the answer is, yes. But, let's think about it for a few minutes. If you're trying to make a decision as to whether to end this marriage or stay in it, can, if at all possible, can you try to back up and see the big picture of the whole thing? Because quite often when we're in the middle of something that involves our emotions, no matter what those emotions might be, we tend to see what's just in front of us. And we focus on that so much that we miss the big picture. 
So if at all possible, can you back up, if you possibly can, back up, if you can, to try to see the big picture, not just what you feel, not just what your spouse is saying, not just what about your lover might be telling you if you have one, or that alluring lifestyle out there that you want to go to, or just the peace of mind you believe you would feel if you weren't in this marriage anymore. Can you just for a minute or two back up and try to see the big picture where it involves not just the two of you, but involves, well, if you have children, certainly them. If you have mutual friends, then it involves them. If you're part of a religion, like, for example, if you're both members of a particular church and that has been a big part of your life in the past, then try to include them in this big picture as well because they're part of your life. Your families, your in-laws, your spouse's family, your family, all of those people. And then, and I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, but if you can, think about it this way. What about, what about society itself? Can I see a big enough picture here? Now, I'm not trying to tell you that you're going to stay married just when you think of the big picture of society. I don't think people typically do that. But believe it or not, they really are part of the picture. I don't know what the stats are now. The last time I looked was a few years ago, and it said then that a divorce cost the community, the community, more than $30,000. You say, how did it cost the community? Oh, there are all kinds of things, tax revenues that are decreased more welfare for people, I mean, all kinds of things, because understand that after divorce in America, half of the women who have children in America after divorce, they and their children live under the poverty level. And yes, it does affect society in that sense. Oh, and in a bigger picture, because the less we tend as a society to think of um, intact family relationships, that People may have dad over there and mom way over there and here the kids here and here the stepkids over there. And I'm not trying to put you down. Please understand, I'm just trying to paint a big picture here of if that occurs, then indeed society is part of what must be, well, at least should be looked at because all these things matter. In other words, it's not all about me. Whether I'm the spouse that wants out or the spouse that wants to save the marriage, it's not all about me. Even though at the moment that might be the way you're thinking, I know. I divorced my own wife back in 1984. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm that old. I divorced my wife back in 1984, and in my mind, it really was all about me, and I didn't stop to consider any of these other things I just mentioned to you. Now, my wife and I actually did remarry in 1987. We were divorced three years. Therefore, we've been remarried a long time now that I'm recording this and you're hearing to this and you're hearing these words. But please don't think that I'm looking down on you saying, well, I know better because I've been there. Obviously, any of us who have been there have more knowledge about some of the things that you have not yet experienced. That'd be true of anybody. But I'm not trying to tell you that I'm the authority. I'm trying to tell you that I'd like to ask you some questions. Okay, so let's suppose now your spouse wants out. He or she either wants to go be with another person or wants to live a different lifestyle or just wants to get away from you. And here you are wanting to save the marriage, and I understand that. My wife, Alice, wanted to save the marriage back in those days. She fought for it diligently, just as I would now, if she were to be leaving me. But ask yourself a question like this. Are you safe? And if you have children, are they safe? You see, sometimes we try to save a marriage because we love people, Yet those people are extremely dangerous people. It's a known fact, for example, that many women who are in abusive relationships, I mean where they're not being just 
emotionally or mentally abused, but also physically abused. When they are profiled with these screens that measure the level of marriage satisfaction, many times women in an abusive relationship actually rate fairly high in marital satisfaction. You say they like being abused? No. No, they're actually looking past that. They're thinking he's really a good man inside. And if we can just get past this, everything will okay, be okay. And so they tend to rate higher marriage satisfaction because they're looking at what they believe is inside of him, not how he's acting now. But the question must be, are you feeling safe? A woman told me several years ago that every time her husband got drunk, he tried to kill her, and he got drunk every Friday night. She told me about an incident where that on a Friday night he had gotten drunk. He came home. They had a gas stove. She lit one of the, he lit one of the burners on the stove and then grabbed her face and was trying to push her hair into that burner to catch it on fire, hopefully that she would catch on fire and kill her. Her teenage son happened to come in, saw what was happening, and beat his father off of his mother, and she said, I had to pull my son off of him to keep him from killing him. And so my question to her was, are you safe? If you're in an environment where you are in physical danger, I beg of you to please leave that environment. Whether you're divorced or not, you need to get someplace that's safe. There are people in your community who will know how to help you with this. Or you can actually go Google, I'm an abused spouse, and it'll show a couple of sites. One is a national site. The one I like best is when you go to it, it'll actually pop up and say, be careful because your spouse might be looking at your Internet history, so maybe you need to call us, and they'll give you a number. People that understand. But first and foremost, everybody has to be safe. Now, even as I say that, please be honest. Don't claim that you're not safe if in actuality you are. Like, well, at one time he raised his voice a little bit, therefore I'm scared he's going to kill me. If you truly are afraid, okay, but don't justify yourself by fabricating fear. What I mean by that is if you're not truly in mental, emotional, physical, or spiritual danger, don't fabricate that to justify what you're about to do, whether you're the spouse that wants to leave or the spouse that wants to stay. But if indeed you are in jeopardy, whether or not you wind up divorced, it may be extremely wise for you to at least get to a safe place. And if your children are in jeopardy, obviously get them to a safe place. A woman told me just recently that she had to get the husband out of the home because she was terrified for the health of her children because of his physical attributions toward them. He was apparently beating them pretty badly. So if you're not safe, get safe. If you have children and they're not safe, get safe. That may wind up leading to an end of a marriage because in some states you can't do things such as legal separation. Sometimes you actually have to go ahead and file for the divorce. I am against divorce. I hate divorce, but sometimes divorce is what you need to do. And there are times when the children or the wives, and believe it or not, sometimes it's the husband who is in jeopardy because the wife is beating him. I know that sounds incongruous, but it happens. Or because of the fact that the wife is so volatile that he doesn't know what's going to happen the next time he goes to sleep or even the next time he eats a meal. And if indeed you or your children are not safe, I would say, in my opinion, it's always your decision. You make your own decision. Get to a place where you're safe. Stay in the safe place as long as you need to be safe. And obviously physical takes the lead here. You want to be physically safe, but also intellectually safe, emotionally safe, spiritually safe. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that things can't work out later. 
I have seen people go through anger management courses. I've actually seen people learn how to deal with their anger, learn how to deal with their frustrations, and actually become safe to be around, even though even though I would suggest that if your spouse does that, that you go through some trial periods where you can get help in a hurry. And in other words, allow him or her to actually prove that it can be safe. But it can be. It truly can be safe. So what was my first point? Even as you look at the big picture, there's something up close you have to look at first, and that is safety, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, but particularly physical safety for you and your spouse. And if that's not there, even if you might be able to save the marriage, it may not be the wisest thing to try to do it in that environment. Get the help you need to get to the place where you can be safe. Okay, that's said. And by the way, I realize that I took a lot of time talking about that, but that's a really big deal because sometimes people avoid that. And sometimes people think I'm saying, well, you should save your marriage no matter what. No, I'm saying safety counts. Now, here's the second thing. Are you really honest with yourself about your motives as to why you want out of a marriage or about your motives as to why you want to stay in a marriage? You said, well, sure, I know my motives. I'm not sure that's always the case. How many times in life have you done something, and when somebody said to you, why did you do that, the honest answer in your head was, I don't really know. I mean, you could probably go through kinds of therapy where somebody digs inside your brain, asks you a gazillion questions, and maybe, maybe come up with a reason that you did that. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes we're not even sure why we did something. It could be one of any number of motives. I know, by the way, motives are seldom pure. What I mean by that is it's seldom just this one little thing motivating me. There's a mixture of things going on in there. But what are your motives? Now let's talk to the person that wants out of the marriage, for example. What are your motives, really? Is it because of the fact that you're saying, well, I just deserve to be happy. I want to be happy. Hmm. Now we live in a me society. I mean, it definitely is. And we tend to think in terms of what's best for me. It's such a me society that people tend to abandon responsibility for all kinds of things. I mean, if somebody breaks into your house and then trips over something that you left out on the floor, and then they wind up suing you that they got hurt after breaking into your house because you were negligent and left that thing on the floor, I mean, that's the kind of culture in which we live. It's about me, 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 not taking responsibility for my actions but blaming everything on somebody else. It's either your fault as to what's happening right now, or it's my dad's fault from what he did to me when I was a kid, or my mom. And I'm not saying that there aren't consequences from what mom or dad might have done. Don't misunderstand. And I'll talk about that a little bit in a few minutes. But in a me culture, it's all about me, me, me. When I left Alice and subsequently divorced her, I can admit to you now, it was about me about what I wanted to feel at the time, and I wasn't looking anything beyond that. And so, it's just you and me here. You can look inside your own head, and if you're still listening, if you haven't turned me off already, then maybe just maybe there's enough going on there to make you think, I need to examine this a little deeper, and ask yourself, why are you doing this? Is it really about you? Have you honestly, genuinely, thought about the effect on the other people. Let me back up and say it this way. You've heard about the greatest generation. That's the generation in which my father was. Those were the men and women who went to war to fight the, the Axis powers, Japan and Germany and Italy and all of that. What would have happened then? And what would even happen now? 
if people all thought about just me. I'm quite sure my dad, because he told me before his death, he wasn't excited about going overseas and fighting. I mean, he did because it was the right thing to do. He was in the National Guard. They were called up, and they were sent. The unit he was in was in an artillery unit of the National Guard, and they sent his unit over to fight in Europe in World War II. And I don't think any of those guys were thinking, wow, I think it's exciting that I may never come back home again. I think it's exciting I may never see my wife again. I may never see my children again. I want to go do this because, you know, this is the thing that makes me happiest. Are there people who might be like that? I have no doubt. But my dad and the other men around him that I have talked to over the years were not like that. They went with some degree of dread. But why did they go? Because it was like, what is the thing that's best for the most And if we don't fight Hitler there, we're going to be fighting him here at some point, besides the Japanese have already bombed Pearl Harbor, et cetera, et cetera. And so our generation will go to war. And the men and women who are in our services now who go into peril, they can't possibly be people who think totally about themselves because thinking totally about me says, I don't want to be someplace where I can be shot or blown up. Now you say, how'd you get off on that? This is about marriage, but it's the same principle. It's the principle that if I think only about me and my happiness, then I'm not really considering those around me. And is that really how I want to live my life? A guy told me not long ago that he was leaving his wife. This guy was 30-ish. He was leaving his wife and his two daughters, both of whom were three or under. I mean, there were two of them. One was like three, one was like 18 months. And he was leaving them for another woman who was 10 years older than he And when I asked, what about the welfare of his children? Was he thinking about them? He said, they're young. They have no idea. It won't hurt them. By the time they grow up, I won't be around. So, yeah, but don't you think when they realize that other little girls have daddies and that they wish they had a daddy whose lap they could climb into and hug him and love him, don't you think that they'll start wondering why they don't have one. And, of course, they'll know who you are, hopefully. You'll have some kind of interaction with them, but not there all the time where they can do the things I just said, climbing into your lap, asking you questions, because you won't be there all the time. You'll be someplace else. Do you think just maybe they'll wonder if something's wrong with them? Do you think they might feel like that you left because you didn't care about them? I mean, is there not at least some consideration that should be had for those daughters? He replied, but the sex with this new woman is amazing. To which I replied, so you're saying for a period of, quote, amazing, end quote, sex, you're going to leave your daughters to a lifetime of making decisions based on the fact that they were abandoned by their dad when they were young. So at least you're honest. You're admitting your motives are all about the fact that you want sex with this woman. I at least admire the honesty. There's so many other people who have justified themselves in so many different ways, saying I'm leaving because of this reason and leaving because of that reason and et cetera, et cetera. Or, and some even saying, because, you see, if I get this one thing, either I get this job that's going to take me away from my family or I start living that lifestyle that a person can't do and be married, or I'll be with that person over there, that they think that's going to make them happy. Actually, in the social sciences, that's called a focus illusion. Focus, F-O-C-U-S, focus illusion. What does it mean when you focus on any one thing or any one person that if you just had that, you'd be happy? It's an illusion. I mean, there's all kinds of studies on this. Plus, if you've lived long enough, you've seen it. 
There is no one person. There is no one thing that can make me happy. Oh, and by the way, if you're the spouse who's being abandoned, and you're thinking I could be happy if only my wife came back, I would be happy if only my husband came back, that can be a focus illusion as well. Are you wanting them back just because you want to be happy? Now, I'm not against people being happy. I'm truly not against people being happy. But think about the best thing. Now, this is going to be kind of a harsh illustration. Forgive me, but I'll use it. So what if dad was molesting the little girls and that one of the reasons you ended the marriage was to protect your children, but you're thinking to yourself, wow, but I loved him so much, and if he came back, I'd be happy. And so therefore, let's risk this. Let's bring him back. Are you really looking at the big picture? Are you really thinking about what's best for your daughters? I actually know a situation several years ago where the man was sexually abusing his daughter. And the wife was so afraid that uh, she'd be alone if she turned him in, that he would go to jail, prison, and that she would be alone, might never have another man, that she decided to try to curb his behavior by uh, giving stars on the calendar each day that he didn't molest his daughter. Oh, and by the way, when finally it came to light, because the girl told one of her teachers, not only did they take the daughter away from dad, they took her away from mom. Now, I realize that's an extreme case, and you're thinking nobody would ever do anything like that. Well, I'm telling you somebody did. But you're saying I wouldn't. I understand that. But I'm asking those of you who are standing for your marriage. Are you really looking at the big picture? Now, I'm all for people standing for the marriage. I do everything I can. Our organization, our 501c3 nonprofit marriage helper, will do everything you can, or we can, to help you save your marriage. But are you asking yourself, what's best for everybody here? Am I pining after a spouse who is going to continue to do one bad thing after another, after another, causing damage to other people, damage, well, if you're a church person, damage to our church, damage to our family, damage to our children, damage to our friends? And if you're thinking, wait a minute, wow, wait a minute, you're saying that if a guy or a gal's done something wrong, just throw them out. No, I'm not saying that. I think people are well worth rescuing if they can be rescued. But do you remember when... Well, let me just use a little scripture here. Over when Peter talked about those with eyes full of adultery who could not cease from sin. There are some people who will keep doing the same things over and over and over again, and those things are bad. They're destructive to them, and they're destructive to you. And if a person's doing things that are continually destructive to himself or herself, that would be enough in my opinion, but particularly if you broaden that out, destructive to children, to the friends, to the kingdom of God, whatever it is that's important to you, your, you know, your broader family, that at some point you look at this and say to yourself, maybe the only reason I'm standing is because I'm thinking only about me, and I'm not honestly facing the consequences of what's happening by trying to get back this person who continues to do this evil thing. Now, let me, let me give one caveat here. I've already mentioned it, but let me make it clearer. Am I saying then that a person who has done several things wrong cannot be salvaged? I'm not saying that at all. They can. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. There are some people who are so caught up on those things, they're never going to change. No matter how much you love them, no matter how much you want to, they're going to be like that for the rest of their lives. And I know if you love them, you don't want to think like that. I understand that. But there comes a point when sometimes calling the other, person to, the other person to accountability, like, I can't live like this anymore. This is where this has to stop. 
and therefore I can't be here pretending everything is okay when you do these things one after another. And sometimes that might mean ending the marriage because of the fact that as long as you are married, you're part of it. You say, what, what do you mean? Like, for example, if they're building up more and more gambling debts and you're being married to them, you somehow inherit part of those debts. You understand that sometimes you have to make a decision that in the bigger picture of things, it's more than about what I want right now. It's what's best for everybody. Now, I realize that this can be a hard decision to make and that sometimes it's not, well, as a matter of fact, maybe even most of the time, it's not one you need to make by yourself. Because if you're really mad at the other person and he's, he or she has done something a few times, you may be of the opinion that's it. Here she has come. Nothing will ever change. I need to get out of this and save myself. And you might be right, but you might just be angry. And maybe there's somebody else out there that has a better way of looking at this. Maybe a pastor that knows the both of you, a counselor that has seen you, a good friend that can see the goodness in the other person and saying, but you know, I think, I think he or she may be rescuable. In that case, wonderful. If you trust the counsel of those wise people, and by the way, I wouldn't just listen to my spouse's mom. It'd be more than that. It'd be somebody who is not quite prejudiced, you understand. Then maybe you give it a while longer. But if wise, good, godly people say, it's been a long time and he or she just doesn't stop and we think for your own safety, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you need to be out of this, then I would suggest that you consider their counsel. Now, let me give you a caveat to that. <laughs> don't listen to people who don't seem to have any problems in their lives. I strongly suggest that you ignore their advice. You see, when people have lived lives and you've never seen any flaws in them at all, either they are absolutely perfect, which, by the way, is impossible, or they have learned how to hide reality, which is much more likely. I'd much rather listen to someone that I know is real and genuine than someone that I think lives in some glass house somewhere pretending everything is wonderful and therefore you should punish severely anybody who does anything wrong. I don't like listening to those people. Now, since I mentioned the scripture already, allow me, and I realize you may not share my religion, but in my religion, in the holy book I follow, it was a statement that it's the people with the speck of dust in their eye that look for the log, I'm sorry, the people with the logs in their eye that look for the speck of dust in somebody else's. I'm careful about taking advice from people that I don't think are genuine and real, or people who are just too easy to say, kick them to the curb, kick them to the curb. Oh, yeah. Well, until you understand me and my situation, don't give me advice like that. And until I know you have lived real life and you have some understanding, I'm not going to take your advice anyway. But focus illusion is, if just this one thing happens, I'll be happy. And here's another part of the focus illusion that can come if you're the standing spouse. is when you think, and if he or she comes back, everything's going to be wonderful from day one. That is not the case. There's going to be some things you have to work through. We have an online course about reconciliation. You can find it on our website at marriagehelper.com. That's marriagehelper.com. We finally put together that online course because of seeing so many people that were going to reconcile, and they just got back together and messed up everything, and then finally gave up altogether saying it can't work. <laughs> Look, it can, but there's a methodology to doing it. So don't have the focus illusion of he just walks back in the door. She just comes back and says she loves me again. Everything's going to be fine from that point. No, that's the starting point. And it can be made really good after that, but it's going to take some work. And 
dealing with some reality. So what have I said so far? Well, I'm still talking about that same principle that people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And we're saying in the situation that you are, is what you're longing for truly better? I mean, looking at the big picture, not just looking at how you feel at the moment, is it truly better? Now, if you're the spouse who wants out, I've talked to that. If you're the spouse who's trying to save the marriage, I've spoken to that. And understand, I'm the guy who really would like to help you put it back together, figure out how to get past this, how to stop the things that either of you have been doing that's been destructive to the marriage or to yourself, and to move on from here and learn how to do the reconciliation and have a great marriage. That's my whole purpose. That's what I'm here for. So don't think I'm trying to encourage you to divorce. I'm not. But I am trying to encourage you to face reality and look at what your motives really are. Now, there's another little side part of this. What if then my spouse is doing something that's so destructive to himself or herself is there ever a time that I go ahead and I divorce them because that's a way of trying to rescue them? Yes, you can. But understand that rescuing them may not rescue the marriage. For example, if you've got a husband that comes home drunk every Friday night and you try to get him to go to AA and he won't, he gets a couple of DUIs, then you catch him driving the children and he's drunk and you're saying, that's it. We can't live like this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. You're building up all kinds of debts. You're putting us in liability. You've even threatened the lives of my kids by putting them in the car and driving. And I'm afraid you're going to do it again because you don't stop. Therefore, I can't be part of this. And I'm going to do whatever legally I need to do, either to separate from you or if I have to, to divorce you. Could that be part of what brings them to their senses and finally gets them into AA or wherever the help they can find to help them get past? Yes, that actually might help them do that. But don't do that thinking so, okay, when that happens then, by the very fact that I divorced him, is going to bring him back to me because that part may not happen. Don't ever threaten divorce or actually do divorce thinking is somehow going to manipulate the other person to come back to you. If you're going to talk about separation or divorce, don't do it with the motives of thinking it's going to straighten the other person out and bring them back to you. That is not the case. If you do those things, you should think in terms of that's it. Now, you might be thinking of Joe you said earlier. It may not be it. They may come back later. We may be able, to be able to fix things down the road. Yes, that's true. Alice and I did. That possibility exists, and I hope it happens for you. But... Don't do that, counting on that as being the conclusion. So look at your own motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I staying in the situation because it's really all about me? Or am I truly considering the welfare of my spouse, either the spouse that's trying to abandon me or the, the spouse that I'm trying to abandon? Am I truly thinking about the welfare of my children? You know that story I told you earlier where the guy was sleeping with a woman 10 years older than he and he was saying that the sex was phenomenal well as a sexologist I could have told him that's not going to last forever I'll guarantee you that and then when I talked about his little girls and their welfare he said oh oh but her daughter is already grown and in college and she said she divorced when her daughter was young and it had no negative effect on her at all really First of all, I would not say that was an unprejudiced source. She wants you to abandon your spouse and come be with her. So that wouldn't be an unprejudiced source of information. Secondly, 
meaning, in other words, she could be lying. Secondly, even if that were the case, which I seriously doubt, are you here to tell me that it'll have no negative effect on your daughters ever? When I realize that people sometimes say, but my counselor said we should not be married for the sake of the children. If that were me in that situation, if my counselor told me that, <laughs> I'd find a counselor that knew what he or she was talking about. The research is rampant. Can a child get past that pain and have a decent life? Yes. But does that mean that the child was not affected by it? No. God, for the rest of his or her life, they'll be affected by it. Every so often, I'll do a thing like on Facebook to adults. How many of you whose parents went through some kind of divorce, how many of you are still affected by it in some negative way? And you should see the plethora of divorces that, I mean, of responses that come about. How I was affected by my parents' divorce. So don't think it's not going to have any negative effect on the kids. In other words, when somebody gives you some information like, well, don't stay married for the sake of the kids, they'll be fine. Hog wash. They can get past it, yes. They can have good lives, yes. But that emotion, that pain, is always going to be real. And are you accepting your responsibility in that, or are you thinking just about you? When I divorced Alice, I had two daughters. One was um, six years old. The other was seven years older. She was 13. The 13-year-old was mentally handicapped. She reacts in different ways. The six-year-old, I had been, and I'm ashamed to say this, I had been before that a minister. I had done the weddings where the parents had divorced sometime earlier in life, and he was the bride trying to get married. I'd watched the fights between the, the mother and the mother-in-law and the dad and the stepdad and all those kinds of things. I'd, I'd seen, I actually saw one bride faint because of all of that stuff. I mean, I'd witnessed every one of those things as I had done marriages over the years as a minister. Do you think ever once I stopped to think about my little Joanna, who was six at the time, that someday as she got older, grew up, fell in love, that someday she'd want to be married, and did I think about how those things would happen at that wedding and all the other things about how, I've, as a minister, I would try to arbitrate the fights about where do we spend Thanksgiving, where do we spend Christmas? we got Dad over here, Mom over there, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't think about any of those things. Not once. Because I was focused just on me. So I'm asking you whether you want to stay in the marriage and are fighting for it or you want out of the marriage, what's best for your children, what's best for your in-laws, your family, the people that are related directly to you, the friends that matter. And if you've been part of a, of a church or religion, what's going to happen to them? And look at it yourself. And at least if you're going to be to the point where you're saying, I don't care about any of those people. All I care about is being happy. And being happy means I want this one thing. And by God, I'm going to get it. Well, I would appreciate your honesty about it. And I hope that you would appreciate your own honesty about it as well. But then again, as you do that, think back. Is there anything from your past that may be affecting this? Affecting it in a way that keeps you from being truly honest with yourself? In other words, are you repeating a hurt that was done to you? Like my dad left us when I was 12 and went off and lived with another woman. And wow. Even though that hurt me and I went through all that pain back then, it's hard to remember pain now because I'm doing the exact same thing and I've got a 12-year-old son. Sometimes the things we do 
we actually do to repeat the hurt that was done in us. You say, what? Well, you've heard about children molesting other children sexually. And back before internet pornography, this has kind of changed the, the picture here. So, well, it's changed it a lot. But back before that was rampant, we'd say, well, if this kid's abusing another kid, then this kid has been abused. We know that for a couple of reasons. One is they wouldn't know how to do it otherwise. And number two is people tend to replicate their pain. And so he's repeating a hurt that was done to him, or she's repeating a hurt that was done to her. Are you doing that to your kids, to your wife, to your husband? Or are you trying to find love in ways that never have worked very well? Like when I was young, I was treated as a very sexual being, and therefore I I use sexuality to feel loved, and when somebody's being sexual with me, I feel appreciated and loved, yet it doesn't last very long. In other words, if you look at this thing into your own true motives, you might need to examine some of your past, and, and maybe, for example, the fact that you're standing for a marriage, and I'm all for standing, I hope you've heard that, and that you're putting up with all kinds of things your spouse is doing, such as drinking heavily and taking your kids in the car and driving them other places, and I know that you love your spouse. I'm not saying that you don't. But could it be because of the great pain that you saw when your parents divorced? You're going to fight for this one come hell or high water. You're going to do everything you can to save it. Well, I'm all for saving marriages, but is it wise to do what you're doing now? So it's not just looking at the big picture. It's looking now at me and becoming honest with me about my own motives and whether or not I'm truly thinking about what's best for everybody, including me. But everybody. Back in the day, Alice decided, because after I left her and I divorced her, I went on to live a very uh, different lifestyle than I had lived before, doing a lot of things that I would have never even thought I would do. I mean, a, a very bad lifestyle, doing a lot of bad things. Alice still loved me, but she didn't necessarily want me anymore and she went on her life and started dating other people you say she abandoned you no no I abandoned her but you understand she didn't mope around for years thinking a man who was living this lifestyle will eventually come to his senses she hoped I would she prayed that I would but she wasn't about to live her life waiting for me to do so and so she went ahead and started dating that's not what brought me back to her, by the way, but it was a piece of what brought me back to her because when finally I started realizing that I wanted to put my marriage and my family back together, the fact that Alice had been so strong and moved on actually made her more attractive to me. It wasn't that I was jealous of her dating. That wasn't it at all. It was just I saw strength in her. She can live without me. Now, I'm not telling you, and maybe you heard this already. Let me repeat now. I don't want to make sure I'm not misunderstood here. Don't do those things just thinking then it'll bring your spouse to his or her senses. Okay, I'm going to divorce you to bring you to the senses so you'll come back and save the marriage. That's a bad, bad motivation and may bite you in the butt. Or, okay, now that I am separated from you legally and divorced from you, I'm going to start dating, not because I want to date, but because I want to make you jealous. Not a good motivation. So ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it really all about me, or is it what I'm doing because I think it's truly, honestly, genuinely best? And then ask yourself, why am I doing this now? You say, there's a reason for asking that? Sure. Examine your motives. Why am I doing this now? Why am I leaving my wife with this other woman now? Or why am I still standing for my marriage when my 
wife is doing this? Why am I still in it now, today? If you believe that your spouse, for example, if you're standing and you believe your spouse is a good person doing a bad thing and think it's just a matter of time until he or she comes to his or her senses, I can see why now you're still standing. But will you be honest with yourself enough to know that when your spouse's behavior becomes ultimately destructive to himself or herself, to your children, to you, to others, that sometimes you have to draw that line, you have to pull that plug, you have to make it safe. And sometimes, sometimes making it safe even financially. Many times I'll hear, particularly from a woman, that he yells at me and screams at me and, and says, I just want money, that's all I care about. Should I get an attorney? My response is, my suggestion is that you do. Should my attorney be tough and get me everything I need financially? Absolutely. You may have heard me say earlier that half, half the women with children in America after the divorce live under the poverty level. So yes, get your attorney and get him or her to be tough, as tough as he or she needs to be, please, to get you and your children the financials that you need to be secure. And then typically they'll come back and say, but I'm doing that now. And my husband's saying, see, I was right about you all along. You don't care about me. You just care about you. And now you're trying to take all my money. What should I do? My response is, it's always your decision as to what to do. I won't tell you. But my suggestion is, let your attorney be the gladiator. Let him or her fight. And when your husband yells and screams at you, you just look at your husband and wife and say, I don't want this divorce. I wish you would quit drinking so we could straighten this out. I wish that you would leave that other relationship. I wish you would decide that we can get the help that we need to fix this marriage. And whenever you're ready to do that, I stand ready, at least for now. But until you do, I have an attorney to protect me. And if you have children, you can add and to protect the children. I'm sorry that angers you. I'm sorry that makes you upset. But I will follow my attorney's advice as long as you pursue the path that you're pursuing now. You say, well, Joe, you make it sound like that maybe rather than doing what I'm doing, I should go ahead and file for divorce now. I don't know when you should file for divorce, if ever. And I'm not done. I'm going to give you a couple of more things to think about here. It is always your decision. All I'm trying to do here is to keep you from listening to the people who, because they're so hurt about what your spouse has done to you, that they're telling you not to stand Please don't listen to the advice of those people because they just love you too much. On the other hand, are those other people over here who are saying no matter what he or she does, no matter how he or she lives, you should stand because that's the right thing. And so if you're going to stand 20 years, then you stand 20 years. Now, if you wish to, do. Don't let people convince you that that's what you have to do because God will be mad at you if you don't or you will not have been the faithful spouse you should have been if you don't. Does this sound like a mixed message? I sure hope not. And if it does sound like a mixed message, mixed message, then you email us at info at marriagehelper, that's marriagehelper, marriagehelper.com, and say, can I ask some clarifying questions? And in the next week or two, I'll come back and try to clarify based on the questions that people give. Because I don't want to sound like a mixed message. You see, I can't just give you a clear demarcation line. Like up until this point, you stand, boom. And once this thing happens, then you don't stand, boom. 
all I can do is teach you the principles. But if you're understanding the principles, and yes, it does take wisdom on your part. If you're a religious person, I ask that you pray for wisdom. Get counsel. Just be careful that the people you're getting counsel from are not radical on either side. Those saying, get out, get out, because they're mad at him or mad at her, or those saying, you've got to stand no matter what, because somehow that's part of their religious belief system, but not necessarily yours. I'm just saying, consider it as best you can. And if your children are old enough, sometimes you sit down and think this through with them, but you must understand that your children will be prejudiced. They're either going to be really angry because of their hurt and their prejudice will be, get out of this, or they're going to be prejudiced just the other way. I don't want to lose daddy. I don't want to lose mommy. No, no, you need to stand no matter what. So if you decide to ask your children, remember that they will be a prejudiced source. So what's the bottom line? Well, think 10, 10, 10. How am I going to feel about this in 10 months? Oh, well, I'll start with 10 days. How am I going to feel about this in 10 days? How am I going to feel about this in 10 months? How am I going to feel about this in 10 years? If you're divorcing your spouse because you're just angry, you may feel good about it in 10 days or 10 months, but I'm pretty sure you're going to regret it once you get past that. Ten years down the line, you'll be looking back and saying that, you know, he or she begged me to forgive. Why didn't I do that? If you're abandoning your spouse because you think this other lifestyle is going to be amazing and wonderful and awesome, I doubt it. It's most likely a focus illusion. But, no, you don't understand what I feel for this woman or for this man. It's never been like this. And it won't be like that with them forever either. It will go away, and if you don't believe that, then go back to all of our podcasts. Look for the ones about limerence, L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E, or look for the ones about I'm madly in love with somebody else. Listen not just to the social science research, which is ample, but to the people who will call in and ask me questions or to the comments or to the stories we'll share with you, and you'll see that it's not going to be like this forever. So think 10, 10, 10. Yes, you may still feel good about it in 10 days. You might even still have it all justified and worked out in 10 months. But what about 10 years? Will you be looking back going, man, what I had in my head is not what happened. And then ask yourself this. What do your beliefs and values tell you to do? Now, please hear me carefully. Not necessarily the beliefs and values you have at the moment. You say, what? (laughs) If you've been doing things you shouldn't have been doing based on your prior belief and value system, just to find peace, you may have modified your belief and value system to make what you're doing okay. But surely you realize that if you've modified your belief and value system to make what you're doing okay, you have modified you. Your belief and value system is part of your identity, and as you change your belief and value system, you become a different person. In actuality, although it's an oversimplification to some degree, that's what finally led me to asking Alice if I could come back. I realized I wanted to be me again, the guy I used to be. And the only way I could do that was to go back to my original belief and value system, which meant that I had to try to restore that marriage. Alice could have refused, of course, but I had to try, genuinely, honestly try, not just a token effort, actually go after it to try to put that marriage back together again because my belief and value system was that I should have never left it. I left Alice for another woman. That was wrong. 
I made it to go back and make it right. So what do your beliefs and values tell you you should do? And so if you're abandoning your spouse, look at not what you feel necessarily today because you may have been doing a lot of changing inside your head to make this all right, but look at what you have believed all your life. And you may be saying, oh, I don't believe that anymore. Yeah, I know. But was it really right? Have you rejected it now just because you needed to to make what you're doing now okay? I'm not trying to tell you what your belief in value system should be. I'd be happy to teach you what I think is the right one, but you see, that's your decision, not mine. And for those who are standing, what do your beliefs and values tell you you should do? There are people who tell me, well, based on my belief and values, typically this comes off of their religion. Because my spouse uh, did not commit adultery, then I've got to be single the rest of my life. And he divorced me and he left, but he just wanted to go drinking and and he didn't get involved with anybody else that I know of, so I'm just going to live alone for the rest of my life. If that's your belief and value system and that's what you choose to follow, then follow your beliefs and values. You say, well, wait a minute, Joe. Is that your belief and value system? No. No, I am a Christian. I do study my Bible. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches, but I'm not going to try to change your belief and value system to mine. I'll be glad to study with people to show you why I believe what I believe. That's not the question here. I'm just saying that when you live in contradiction to your beliefs and values, it'll eventually eat you alive. It'll make you be somebody else. So ultimately, look at what your beliefs and values tell you to do. Don't grab the one that somebody is throwing at you that gives you permission to do what you want to do. Look at what you genuinely, honestly believe to be right. Now, before too long, I'm actually going to offer a Bible study about that. Even then... All through it, I'll be saying, this is what I understand this scripture to say, but it is ultimately your decision. I am not God's messenger. I'm just a student of the word. Therefore, it has to become your desire. I mean, not your desire, but your choice, I should say, to do what you understand to be right. But here, to anybody out there who has listened this far, who is seriously contemplating leaving a marriage, trust me, I've been there. If you do this in contradiction to the belief and value system that you held most of your life, even if you've changed it temporarily to make this okay, it's going to hurt. Somewhere, somehow, it's going to come back to get you. And for those who are standing for your marriage, if you're standing because of your beliefs and values, good for you. Stay there. If your beliefs and values say, well, Joe, based on what you've said so far, maybe, maybe it's time to go ahead and do something differently. Okay. Just remember, don't leave what you have unless what you believe you're going to truly is better. Not in the sense of a focus illusion. Oh, my goodness, please look at reality. Look at the big picture, not just the thing you want right now, but in that big picture. In that big picture out there, that's you. That's the house that you have that you're in trouble with now. That's if you're involved with somebody else, that person. It's it's your multiplied family, meaning your in-laws and your blood relatives, it's your friends. If you've been part of a church, it's them. It actually is society as well. Is it truly better? If not, why do you leave what you have? For temporary pleasure? I'm probably older than most of the people listening to this. and Temporary pleasure can be ecstatic. And then, ultimately, destructive. And if you're saying, well, I just got to go that path and learn for myself, 
It is your choice. You can do that if you wish. But ultimately, it all comes back to what is the best thing to do? What's the right thing to do? And if you can be honest with yourself about what that is with the big picture, then some people need to leave their affairs and come back home because that's actually what's best in the long run for everybody, including you. And then there's some who need to keep standing for the marriage because that's the best. Do it as long as you need to because that's best in the big picture for everybody, including you. And there are some, because of the behavior of the spouse and what's going on, or because of certain needs, like financial needs, those kinds of things, or the protection physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually of yourself or your children, or because of the continued downward destructive spiral in which your spouse is, that it, sometimes you just have to reach the point of saying, I think the best decision is to end this. Not because I've stopped loving, but because in the big picture it's the best thing to do. If you end it, and if the other person comes to his or her senses in time, we'll be glad to help you put it back together. We really want to save marriages. I wish that nobody divorced ever, ever. But it is a reality of life. It occurs. And sometimes because of safety, it has to occur. So what's the bottom line here? <laughs> Do the best thing with the big picture. Be honest with yourself about that. Talk to people who can honestly help you think that through. There's not just a sheet of paper you can write down and, and score on a scale of 1 to 7, and you get the score and say, this is what I should do. It's more complicated than that. But these principles are valid. If we can help you with them, contact us through info at Marriage Helper. That's marriagehelper.com. We will do what we can to help.